Well, it's great to be with you, and um, tonight we're going to, um, it's going to be a great night. We want to share some things that the Lord is saying for 2018, so there'll be some prophetic insights, and Greta will be sharing this evening as well. And um, so, uh, did you like the fact that I'm coordinated this morning with the video? You know, I just like, I didn't even know that thing was going to be on, but uh, so there you go. But um, Alan is an amazing man. Um, we, we were blessed to hear him at a conference in the UK a couple of years ago. Just loved his heart, got to cheer, share with him. But really, uh, what they were seeing happening in Northern Ireland was phenomenal. People were coming from all over Ireland to just be prayed for on the streets. Uh, at, at one stage, 20 to 30 people were being saved every day, every day in the life of the church through prison ministries, street ministries, school ministries, whatever and really transforming communities. So he's going to be a great blessing, really encourage you, uh, you know, get to New Zealand and beyond. It'll be really worth it. You'll be incredibly blessed. So uh, that'll be cool. And um, I'm going to share in a moment. We've got, I brought some copies of our books with us and uh, I want to give a couple away. So um, many of you know about our book, Afterlife, and this is getting uh, incredible feedback from people that have read it. Uh, It's really ministering to people that have, suffered loss of loved ones, maybe they've passed away, passed on, Um, it's really ministering comfort, but also we're finding numbers of people having their eyes opened about eternal things, heaven, the new earth, the new heaven, the return of Jesus, resurrection, all of that stuff, and people are saying to us, man, it's really helping me live with greater purpose, so if you're young or you're old, um, you need to read this book and, and bless somebody, and I'd like to give this to one of the young people, any one of the people in the, you would like it, yeah, well, you put your hand up first, there you go, coming at you, no, it's too dangerous, <laughs> thank you, would you like one, some, well, just go and grab one off the desk right now, there you go, they're all down there, yeah, there you go, you were keen as well, so it's hard to choose, so they both get one, there you go, and um, our other book is uh, Hope. Finding the Gateway to a Better Future, and this is based on the scripture, um, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope, and uh, you know, that has been really my story with my first wife. God is a God that really knows how to transform situations of trouble into positive things, and this whole book is about that, And, uh, and if you want keys on how to have strong hope, how to maintain it, Um, How to See Your Valleys of Trouble Transformed, Uh, that's the book you need to get. Love to give that one away. Anyone, you would like that with glasses? Yeah, that's the enthusiasm. Okay, coming at you. There you go. Well caught. That's awesome. So uh, they're available and I'll look after you uh, at the end. So I want to share a message with you called His Eye is on the Sparrow. And I have to say, this is not the normal message that I usually like to preach because uh, Greta and I have a prophetic gifting. That's our ministry is prophetic. And the Bible says that one who prophesies speaks to people to edify, exhort, and comfort them. And I have to say I like the exhorting part of that. I like to see people stirred up and, you know, set on fire and awakened and, you know, get rid of sin and get with God and you know, go after the things of the kingdom. That's kind of the passion that I feel. But I have to say that what this message is, it's in that comfort area. And I just believe the Holy Spirit, it's part of the prophetic, it's part of 
what God once said today, and I just trust that this will be a blessing. This kind of message came into my head uh, late last year. We have a, um, a family of sparrows in our roof at home, like in the corner of the roof, and they sort of go under the guttering into the roof space, and there they've built their nest, and they've been doing that for three or four years, and you know, see them busy, and then these chicks appear, and and the family grows, and then they've spread to the second corner of the house. So we've got two families of sparrows living in the room. I think, like, ah, oh, these guys are going to make a mess. And I felt like, no, just let them be. And uh, these are cute little guys because um, every morning we see them fluttering around the house and uh, darting around, and uh, they they pick all the little insects off the windows and the bricks, and they're my friends for that. I mean, that just keeps the house clean. How cool is that? We've got our own little cleaners, and uh, often I'm sitting in my office at home, and one will appear on the, on the window ledge and look in, and I don't think he sees me. He's looking for bugs, or, or they're, they're really, really cute. And uh, I think of Psalm 84.3. It says this, even the sparrow has found a home And the swallow, a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your older, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. And so even in the Jewish days when the temple was in existence, one of the the writers of the Psalms said, wow, there's a sparrow nest in the temple. And I think that's really cool because it says something to me about God's creatures. So I began to think about writing this message uh, thinking about all this. And of course, as you're thinking about it, I'm, I start seeing sparrows everywhere. It's like when you want to buy a new car and you decide on the model, you suddenly see that car everywhere on the road. Is that right? It's like, okay, never noticed them before, but I see sparrows everywhere. And it was so funny. We were up in um, Church Unlimited Kaitaia late last year, and Greta was sharing at the beginning of a service, a little sparrow flew right in behind her and started dotting, jumping around all behind her. I thought, I think, Lord, you're trying to say something to me to preach a message about sparrows. And I think that God was giving a natural sign to highlight something about this little bird because I feel like God is speaking prophetically through the sparrow. And in a sense, the sparrow is going to become a bit of a prophetic mascot for the church as we head into the future years uh, where the world is going. The meaning of the word uh, sparrow comes from the old English sparwi, which means flutterer, quiverer. And uh, to quiver means to tremble or shake. If you watch sparrows, they flutter around and they dart and they quiver and they shake themselves. And so I guess that's why they got the name. And, uh, and I think that the way the Lord is highlighting this little bird to me is, to me, a couple of areas. I mean, obviously, I studied every Bible verse that had the word sparrow in it. There's not a lot of them, but there's, there's a few of them. And, uh, and I just began to speak, you know, I felt like the Lord began to share with me a couple of areas that he was wanting to speak through this. And the first area is that this little bird is a sign of the freedom that God wants to give to his people. In Hebrews 10, 11, and 12, it says this, they will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. 
And of course, that prophecy of Hosea, speaking of Israel, uh, you know, they were going to go into captivity in Babylon and in other nations. And this was a prediction that there'll come a time where God would call them back to Israel. He'd call them back to their land and they would come. But I think it has a wider prophetic significance because I believe this is an hour where God is not only calling Israelites around the world and Jews around the world back to Israel, it's a time where God is calling all his lost children who've been in captivity, he's calling them back to himself. And I believe we're going to see a great harvest in the years to come of prodigal sons and daughters returning to the Lord. People that once knew the Lord, maybe as a kid or maybe they went away from God in some fashion or form and they're coming Coming back, and God is calling them back. And if you've got children or grandchildren or loved ones who once walked with God but who no longer do, you need to say every time you see a sparrow, Lord, bring them back like those sparrows. Bring them back into your kingdom. And I believe the Lord's going to do that. He's going to call people out of captivity and bondage to the world. He's going to call people out of captivity to sin and demonic oppression like those Israelites of old. And every time I'm looking at a sparrow right now, I'm saying, Lord, that is a sign of deliverance. If you could do that for the Jews, you can do it for all your people all over the world. And you know, when... Um, when Jane was alive, one of our sons uh, got involved in drugs at high school, and uh, he uh, got heavily into the scene to the point that uh, he left school at 14 and a half because this drug issue had become so dominant in his life. And he went off and you know, he got into the hospitality industry, but he kept feeding his drug problem, uh, you know, got into methamphetamines, was in that drug culture for 12 years, went right away from God. And we, Jane and I had to make a decision, uh, how were we going to handle this? And we decided to do two things. Number one, we decided that we would love him unconditionally. And number two, we would pray unceasingly. Love unconditionally, pray unceasingly. And that's what we did for 12 years. We just loved him. He came around home one day, and as he is leaving, he said, Dad, how come you and Mom love me so much? You know what, what, what I'm doing? I said, Son, we love you not because of what you do, but because of who you are. You're our son. That'll never change anything in terms of our love. It'll always be constant. And so we just kept loving him, uh, kept praying, and, uh, and then his mom died. She went to be with the Lord. Many of you know that story. Jane passed away. And, um, and, you know, it was soon after that that he came back to Jesus. You know, my, I have a theory about that. My theory is that he knew that his mother was praying fervently for him on earth. He probably thought, now she's in heaven speaking face-to-face with God. I stand no chance. So I might as well just get on and, and get right with God. And so he came back to Jesus. And, you know, when you've been in a drug culture, sometimes you come to Jesus like he just wipes every oppression out. He just breaks every bondage and like you're suddenly free. But other people come to Jesus. It's a process of getting free. And for him, it was a process. It took numbers of years and and he began to slowly walk with God. And you know, when you've been in a drug culture thing for 12 years, you've got a lot of baggage. You know, people sin. They don't realize what they're doing is they're putting rocks on their backpack and you're carrying that bondage around with you. And Jesus wants you to be set free. He is the one that comes to set us free from sin and oppression. 
And so slowly but surely, you know, God began to transform his life and he got into a great church, Equippers Church in Auckland, began to be part of the life of the church, began to serve. And we've just watched, uh, Greta and I have watched, because, you know, we fast and pray every week for our kids and our grandkids, and we've just watched God just so transform his life. And, you know, he, he, he's, uh, he's done so well. He's, you know, he's had a job earning six figures. And, and yet over Christmas, God spoke to him and said, son, I want you to go to Bible college. So this year, this boy that was in the drug scene, he's given up his salary and he's going to Bible college for the year. And he's about to marry a beautiful girl who's the PA of the senior pastor in the church. And God is just... I look at it and I think, God, he, he was so far away, and yet, Lord, you've called him back. You've called him back, and you're redeeming it. He's not perfect yet, you know, but God is redeeming. This boy is so transformed. It's just unbelievable to my eyes, but it's yet what I expected because we chose to love unconditionally and pray unceasingly because that's how God loves us unconditionally. He is so patient with sinners and he longs for us to return to him, and he wants to show us mercy, and he wants to show us grace. So that sparrow is a sign of the freedom that God wants to give his people. They're a sign of the call that God is issuing to so many of his lost children to return to him. I think the second thing that the sparrow is a sign of to me is God's care and protection. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29 and 31, he said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Luke 12, 6 and 7 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Back in Bible days, uh, sparrows were sold for food. It wouldn't be much of a mouthful, would they? But anyway, they were, they were sold. Or if you were really, really poor and you couldn't afford a lamb or a dove for an offering, you could bring an offering of a sparrow uh, to the temple. So uh, there, there was a kind of a... And they were such a common bird uh, that they were virtually worthless. Jesus is saying, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Well, those of you who remember pounds, shillings, and pence back before we changed in 1967 to decimal currency will remember that a penny is two cents. We don't even have a two-cent coin anymore because it's virtually worthless. You can't buy anything with two cents. You can, can't even buy any much with five cents. We don't even have a five-cent coin anymore. So this is illustrating just how pretty much worthless these birds were to human beings. And of course, you know, um, Jewish people, they're very good business people. So that, you know, they'd have their little sign up, two sparrows for a penny. And if you buy four, you get one free. So you get five for two pennies and uh, four cents. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, sparrows aren't worth much. And they're such a common bird. They're everywhere. And yet not one of them falls out of the sky without my father knowing about it. His eye is on every sparrow. He knows every single one. And yet they're the most common bird in the garden. They're the most common bird around. They're virtually worthless. And yet what Jesus is saying, these birds that people deem to be worthless, God loves all his creation. Not one will fall to the ground without him knowing about it. Because his eye of care is on even the sparrow. 
And I want to say to you today, you're worth much more to God than a sparrow because that's what Jesus said. Is not your life of more value than even the sparrow that God cares for? And today, life is cheap. You look at it, you look at it on your TV news. People getting killed left, right, and center. You, you know, a lot of movies are so violent. Life's cheap. It's just snuffed out. And yet to God, life is precious. Satan lies that we're not worth much. He'll focus in on your weaknesses and your faults. He'll try and tell you that you, because of your upbringing that you're less than somebody else. He'll try and say to you because you're having all those problems and you can't overcome that sin and that addiction that you're a second-rate citizen of the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, Father doesn't have any second-rate kids in his family. He's got all kinds of kids and some might be struggling and some might be more victorious than others, but God loves all his children equally. And uh, his care and protection is for us all. And you might feel as insignificant as a sparrow sometimes. I want to tell you, you are of much worth to God. And it's measured by the fact that Jesus died on a cross for you. And yet we know that in our heads. We know Jesus died. And yet so many times we listen to the lies of the enemy that try to beat us down and berate us to feeling less and horrible about ourselves and pointing out all our faults and weaknesses when Jesus comes and says, listen, don't worry. Don't be anxious about stuff. Just know that my Father loves you. Stay in faith and in connection with Jesus. His favor will always be upon you. You know, if God takes care, according to what Jesus said, of a common, insignificant little bird, won't he much more take care of us? You know, the North American Indians used to have a ritual uh, that they, you know, would um, take a child and train that child up. And when that, when that young man was turned 13, he would become a warrior or a brave and they would train him in all sorts of things like archery and spear throwing and horse riding and hunting and, you know, how to fight and all of that stuff. They would, you know, the, the, the chief, the villagers, the other men of the village would train these young men. But then just before his 13th birthday, there was one test that this uh, young man would have to pass in order to become a fully fledged warrior of the tribe. And that test was that the, the village elders would blindfold the young boy and they would just lead him out somewhere. He didn't know where they were going and they would lead him far away from the village uh, into the f middle of the forest and, uh, it, you know, it would be um, sort of dusk and by the time he got there, it would be nighttime and they would take the blindfold off and then they would leave him and he would have to spend the night alone in this unfamiliar forest. And maybe 10, 12 hours would pass before daylight would come. And you can imagine this boy, he's never been out of the village on his own before. He's never gone away from his family before. And yet here he is, he's stuck in this forest on his own. It's night. You know, he can hear the hoot of an owl. He can hear the, the howl of a wolf. He can, uh, he can hear the crack of a twig. And every little sound he's hearing, he's probably terrified. What is out there? And he's got to endure this. And finally, you know, he gets through this long night of, of fear and anxiety. And he can barely sleep. And he's tossing and turning, waiting for the morning to come. And finally, the morning dawns. And he looks around and he sees this beautiful forest that he's been stuck in. 
And then as he keeps looking, he sees a figure just 100 or 200 meters away, hidden in the trees. As he stares at it, he sees that it's his father. And his father has been standing watching him all night, except the boy didn't know. He wasn't alone. His father was with him. And sometimes you and I, we face a long night. But I want to tell you, your father will never leave you. Your father will never abandon you. He's going to be with you all night long. And there's times in our lives we go through a long night of our soul, a night of the soul, of suffering and of difficulty, and we wonder, where's the goodness of God and all of that? But I want to say to you, your Father will never abandon you in the long night of the soul. Your Father will watch over you all night long. And the only reason that He allows you to face it a dark night, is that you might become a warrior. Because Jesus said, to those who overcome, they will rule with me on my throne. And Father loves you too much to let you be a wimp. He loves you too much to let you be a passive Christian. He loves you too much to be a soft Christian. He wants you to be a warrior. He wants you to be an overcomer because he's committed to you reigning and ruling with him. How many have heard of the, uh, the singer Ira Sankey? Not a lot. Ira Sankey um, was a hymn writer and a singer. And he worked a lot with an evangelist called D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody had an amazing ministry in the United States in the 1800s. Hundreds of thousands of people would come to Christ. Tens of thousands of people would attend the meetings. And Ira Sankey was the songster for the crusades that D.L. Moody ran. Uh, ran. So every, you know, every crusade, uh, Sankey would get up and he would sing hymns and help lead the people in worship. And then D.L. Moody would come on and preach. And sometime in the 1870s, I think it was, Ira Sankey was traveling on a steamboat on one of the great rivers of the United States. And because he was famous by then, because everybody knew D.L. Moody. Everybody back then knew Ira Sankey. And he was famous, and so passengers were gathered around him. And he, was, he began to sing one of his famous hymns. I can't remember the name of it, but he began to sing one of these famous hymns. And as uh, you know, people listened, they were transfixed with what they were hearing, and then it, then it stopped. And, and uh, as people were kind of migrating away, a man came up through the crowd and he said to Ira Sankey, he said, were you in the Union Army during the Civil War? He said, yes, I was. He said, on a, a, on a moonlit night in a certain place in 1862, were you on picket duty? And then Ira Sankey thought, he said, yes, I was. He said, I was a Confederate soldier across the river and I saw you highlighted against the moonlight. And I thought, this is one Union soldier that's not going to escape, my rifle. And I lifted my rifle and I took aim at you. And I was about to pull the trigger and you began to sing the same hymn you've just sung now. And I began to listen to this hymn that you were singing. And I recollected it was the same hymn that my mother used to sing to me when I was a little child. And I listened to you praising God. And I listened to you singing... And there was no way I decided that I could pull the trigger and I lowered my rifle. 
Wow. Came that close to dying. But because he sang a hymn of praise to God, he was spared. And you know, in the long night of the soul, my friend, you and I have got to learn to sing unto Jesus. Because I tell you what, you and I have got demonic enemies arrayed against us. But when you sing, they can't touch you. When you praise God, they've got to lower their weaponry. When you get, oh, oh God, it's all terrible, that feeds their ability to harm you. But when you lift up your heart, when you begin to praise Him despite how you feel, when you begin to sing songs of worship unto Him, even though you're going through that night of the soul, I want to tell you, you disarm the weaponry of the enemy. Amen. 1904, there was a songwriter called Sevilla Martin. She went to visit a friend in New York. This friend of hers was bedridden. I don't know what the disease was, whether she was paralyzed or just chronically ill, but she was bedridden and was spending all her days in bed. And Sibylla Martin asked her friend and said, uh, do you ever get discouraged because of your physical condition? And this is what her friend said to her. How can I be discouraged when my heavenly father watches over each little sparrow and I know he loves and cares for me? Well, that so impacted Sibylla Martin's life that on the journey home, she wrote a song. And that song has gone around the world and has blessed millions and millions of people all over the world. And here are a few of the words. Whenever I'm tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. From care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and, he know, and I know he watches me. And the chorus says, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And that song was birthed out of the suffering that she saw in her friend. And yet in her friend, she saw a love and a trust. Well... I don't know about my physical condition. I don't really care about that. All I know is if God cares for sparrows, he sure cares for me. Wow. Amazing. And friends, I believe that every time you see a sparrow, you and I need to be reminded of the care and the protection of Almighty God, of the freedom that he wants you and I to come into. And when you look at your sons and your daughters that are away from God, you need to take hope that God can radically turn people around. And even when you seem to fall, you know, Jesus said, even a little sparrow falls to the ground. My father knows about it. And you want to understand, when you take a fall, when you take a tumble, you've done something stupid, you've sinned and you've fallen. Father knows about it. He wants you to come back to him, not stay away in guilt or condemnation. When you take a tumble because life gets tough and it oppresses on you and you're weighed down and you fall because of the weight of the pressures of life, you need to know that your father cares for you. You say, well, why doesn't he lighten the load? Well, he will at a certain time. He'll lighten the load, but he waits, he waits, he waits because he knows that if he allows you to carry the weight that, that will drive you to him, then you're going to learn a great lesson in life that you'll never get rid of those weights. You'll never get 
rid of those bondages and burdens in your own strength. It's only as you call upon the name of the Lord that he will set you free. All that call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered, shall be set free. For his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. And his purposes for your life are that you run a good race, that you cross the finish line at the end of your life, having increased in your knowledge of the care and protection of God. And to me, the greatest verse in the Bible that shows the care of our loving Heavenly Father is found in John 3.16. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Wow. We should never believe the lies of the enemy and doubt the goodness of God. I tell you what, in my 40-odd years as a Christian, I've suffered a lot. I've battled cancer. I've seen my wife stuck in a wheelchair for 21 years. I've seen her pass away. I've uh, seen um, one of my sons go away from God, and Greta's got her own stories to tell. And yet out of all that suffering, God is a redeeming God. God is a redeeming God. He redeems the suffering. He redeems the negative stuff. You know, Jane's in heaven. She's rejoicing up there. God's given me a beautiful new wife here on earth. Now we're having fun serving him. Doesn't mean all our troubles are over, but we know, oh God, you so showed us your goodness in bringing us together, and now we're serving you. This is our 10th year of ministry together this year. We're just beginning 10 years. This is done nine years. This is our 10th year of full-time itinerant ministry together. We just get to travel everywhere together. I'm so glad I love my wife because some men couldn't stand being with their wives all day long, but I love it. Hallelujah. I just, I don't like it when she's not with me. So that's pretty cool. And for those men, uh, come forward at the end. I'll pray for you to be healed. All right. Because you really need to love your wives. All right. But I want to wind this up because we want to just allow some time for the Holy Spirit to minister into people's lives this morning. But I just, before we get to that place, I just want to ask you, maybe you've come to this meeting not knowing this wonderful God, not having relationship with this amazing God who calls himself a father. Aren't you glad that God calls himself a father? He's not mother God. Sorry about that, guys. He's not mother God. He's father God. He has female characteristics because male and female fully represent him So he has those characteristics that we find in men and women, but he calls himself father because fathers protect. Fathers provide. And he's wanting to protect us. He's wanting to provide. And God is not some distant being out there that you've got to enslave yourself to obey lots of laws to appease. He's a God that so loves you, his lost sons and daughters, that he sent Jesus to hang on a cross to die for you and me, that when we believe in him, our sins could be forgiven. You'll never have your sin forgiven by being good enough. My sister-in-law, our sister-in-law passed away a few weeks ago and right at the end of her life gave her heart to Jesus, made her peace with God. And we just thought, Lord, you just snatched her from the fire. What amazing grace. God has given us such revelation that she's in heaven with him. But you know, God doesn't want you to leave it to the last minute. He's not willing that any perish, but that all would come to have everlasting life. And the thing is, she wasn't good enough. 
She hadn't really served God all life. She's a good person, but how many know you're not, no one's good enough to get to heaven? You've got to have your sin forgiven. Nobody can pay that price. And maybe you're here today, never knowing, never having really understood that God wants to be your Father. And Jesus put it like this He says, No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When you receive Jesus into your heart, when you give your life over to Jesus, He not only forgives your sin, he not only becomes your king and your Lord and your friend, he introduces you to Father and you now have access to the grace and the love and the unconditional kindness of Father God. And I would love to pray for anyone here today that you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe never understood you had to, or maybe you once did years ago, but you've walked right away from God and today you need to come back to him. And I'd love to pray in a moment for anyone that needs to either receive the Lord for the first time or come back to Him. I'm just going to ask us all to shut our eyes to help us concentrate. And uh, and I'm just going to ask you to do a simple thing this morning. If you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to come back to Him this morning, I'm going to simply ask you to indicate that by raising your hand. Just where you're sitting, just lift your hand up right now God bless you, young lady. Thank you. Is there someone else? Yes, thank you, young man, right in front of me. Is there anyone else? Thank you, sir. Bless you. Anyone else giving your life to Jesus or coming back? Just quickly raise your hand right where you're sitting. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it down. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let pride stop you. What will people think? It's only important what God thinks. Jesus said, if you confess me before people, I'll confess you before my Father. Is there anyone else? Just quickly raise your hand right now. So I scan the room one last time. Yeah, God bless you. Right down the back, son. Thank you. All right. Oh, and over there on my right. Thank you. Our young lady. Thank you. You can put your hand down. All right. Let's stand together, shall we? We're going to all pray that prayer together. And, uh, and I'd like you to follow me in this prayer, and especially the four people that raised their hands. Would you especially pray this, mean it with all your heart? Here we go. Let's all pray it together. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me today for all my sins. I'm sorry, Lord, and I turn from them. I turn to you. I believe you died on a cross for me. And you rose again from the dead. And you're alive. So I now open the door of my life. And I ask you to come in. And live in me. I now receive you, Lord Jesus. I pray you'll give me power to live for you for the rest of my life. Amen. Well, if you're one of the four that raised your hands and you you prayed that prayer, we would love to meet you at the end of the meeting. I'm sure there'll be other people coming forward for prayer at the end. And we'd just really encourage you to come forward and we'd love to pray with you. Uh, We can give you some material if you need that to help you take the next steps. Maybe some of you, it's a recommitment. uh, But we'd still love to pray for you. So don't walk out the door. You know, when you pray a prayer in secret, uh, the thing that really seals it is when you confess it to somebody else. That was me. I prayed that prayer. I was coming back to Jesus or coming to Him. When you tell somebody else, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your lips that he is Lord, you will be saved. Why don't we sing something, Isaac? 
and then we're going to minister. Just allow the Holy Spirit to draw near to us. I feel like the Lord in these next minutes is going to so wash over people with His incredible love. Oh, dear.